Good morning. Uh, Today we are into our second message in a series called Say It With Love, communicating what's important to who's important in your life. And last week we looked at how much God values our relationships, and that much of the Bible is devoted to giving practical advice on how to make your relationships better. God is a relational God. He loves you and he calls you into a personal relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. And that's where it all starts. And he wants you to replicate and kind of spread that same quality of love to those around you. Jesus said, if you love God and love others, that pretty much sums up what faith is supposed to be all about. And the main way we express love and improve our relationships is through how we communicate. So today we're going to talk about how truth and trust are the two most important pillars that support healthy communication. And I'm very excited about today's topic because I think we can apply it in so many areas of life with friends, with family, in marriage. If you're married, it applies to your work, your career, in any way that you relate to other people. If you really take what I'm going to share today and put it into practice, it will have tremendous long-term benefits in your life. It will save you tens of thousands of dollars in counseling fees and attorney's fees, I promise you, over time. So you can just make out that check to uh, Dr. Jeff this morning. But first of all, let's hear from God's Word on how the Apostle Paul describes loving communication in a very familiar passage, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Paul writes, Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it does not demand its own way, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come together around this topic of truth and trust, it's just so essential and I'm reminded almost daily about how important truth and trust are in relationships. So help us to kind of clear away the fog of everything else that's going on in life today and focus in on this important topic. Let your word speak to us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I want to uh, introduce you to someone this morning. His name is Alvaro, and you should have his picture uh, available to you this morning. He's the newest addition to the Amistad Orphanage that our church helps support in Cochabamba, Bolivia. And at the end of October, I'm going to Bolivia with a mission team, and hopefully we're going to meet Alvaro when we get down there. Alvaro is uh, two and a half years old, and he's been in institutions since he was just a couple of weeks old. The move to Amistad is going to be traumatic for him because he's never lived in a family. He doesn't know what family is. He doesn't know what it's like to be around older children and a mama to take care of him like they have at Amistad. He's been in a dormitory with other infants, and that's not the kind of personal care kids need or crave. So do you know one of his biggest lifelong problems is going to be? Learning to trust. Learning to trust. He was abandoned by his mother and his father. He doesn't know what family is, that early lack of security, stability, of nurture. 
and love, it means it's going to be hard for him to learn how to trust. And that's why one of the first things that happened when he moved into his new home in Amistad was that each of the other children just took turns just holding him. Just holding him. Each sibling and each person there just took turns holding him, hoping that that warmth of that physical contact would be the beginnings of trust. But you know what? Alvaro's not the only one who needs to learn how to trust. Low trust is everywhere. It's epidemic in our culture. It permeates our society, our planet, our economy, our our personal lives, and even our churches. Listen to these real comments from people on the topic of trust. I made one mistake, and my parents won't ever let me forget it. If I say what I really think at work, I'd get fired, so I just walk on eggshells all the time. Our new employee motto is, don't trust anyone in senior management. They're just in it for themselves. I've been really burned in the past. How can I ever trust anyone enough to love again? Like a fool, I violated the trust of someone who was supremely important to me. If I could hit the rewind button, I would. I would do it in a heartbeat, but I can't. Will I ever be able to rebuild that relationship? Or this one. With all the political scandals, financial corruption, and ethical violations in our society today, I don't know who or what to trust anymore. Have you ever felt any of those same things? Folks, we live in a suspicious and cynical world, especially here in the Northeast where we think everybody's working an angle. I mean, somebody says hello to you on the sidewalk, you kind of check your wallet to make sure, you know, something funny's not going on. But trust is at the core of all relationships. In business and in our personal lives, every relationship we go into, every interaction we have with a person or a company is based on the sense that the promises made to us by the other person will be kept. That's what trust is. The level of confidence that you have that promises made will be promises kept. Simply put, trust means confidence. And when you trust people, you have confidence in them, in their integrity, in their abilities. The opposite of trust is suspicion. And when you distrust people, you're suspicious of them, of their integrity, their agenda, their motives. Trust is essential in business. Consumers buy more from companies that they trust. They spend more money with companies that they trust. You can only give your credit card number to a company that you trust. You recommend companies you trust to others. And what happens when a company's product gets diluted or polluted or compromised? You just see how fast consumers run away from them or investors turn away. They quit buying. Remember the problem last year with Toyota and their cars with the accelerator. Well, they didn't just have a mechanical problem. They also had a trust problem. They could fix the mechanical problem, but regaining the trust of their customers that you would buy a Toyota and it wouldn't run you right into a tree. That was the bigger problem. Trust is essential in business. Jim Burke, the former chairman and CEO of Johnson & Johnson, said this, You can't have success in business or in life without trust. The word trust embodies everything you can strive for that will help you succeed. You can't tell me of any human relationship that works without trust, whether it's a marriage, a friendship, or a social interaction. Or Joe Paterno, head coach of the Penn State football team, put it this way. Whether you're on a sports team in an offense or a member of a family, 
If you can't trust one another, there's going to be trouble. Trust is one thing that affects everything that you do. It impacts us 24-7, 365 a year. You and I both know that we need it. Everything else can be going great in a relationship. But if you don't have trust, then there's trouble. Trust is the grease for the wheels of any relationship. When you've got it, things just move. When you work with people, when you live with people that you trust, things happen more quickly. Everything connects better. But when there isn't trust, everything slows down. Because everything's got to be checked, everything's got to be verified and rechecked again. We've all had experiences that have taught us the difference between relationships built on trust and those that are not. There's a huge difference, a huge difference, a dramatic difference when you can really trust someone. So why is trust so hard to come by? If we all need it so badly, if we all want it, why is it so hard to find? Well, there's something in us that makes us drift. Our internal compass gets screwed up. Our inner drives conflict with each other. And we act badly. We break trust with people. We break trust with ourselves. And that's what the Bible called sin. It's a breaking trust with God, but it also means breaking trust with other people. It affects all of us, and it's universal. And that's why we all have trust issues. Now think for a moment about the most obvious form of breaking trust, telling a lie. People lie for all kinds of reasons, and some lies are much more devastating than others. There's the cruel lie. It's the lie that that hurts us the most because it's big, Like like the con man who steals a person's life savings through a Ponzi scheme. That's based on this level of trust that the investor is able to develop. Or the addict who lies over and over again to cover up for his or her addiction. That's big. The person who breaks faith in their marriage through adultery. The more a person believes in the spoken or the unspoken promise of a relationship, the deeper the hurt when the betrayal is revealed. That's the cruel lie. But there's also the cowardly lie, the kind of lie that's told, you know, just to escape consequences, to avoid punishment trying to protect oneself from a situation of pain or maybe personal embarrassment or the consequences of your actions. So you say, hey, my dog ate the homework, right? Or the person in your office who's not ready for a meeting and they say, well, I never got the email. It just seems like their email never seems to work like everybody else's email. The cowardly liar doesn't want to take responsibility, but it breaks trust with the other people on the team or with a friend or with a family member. People just get tired of hearing it, of how the story keeps changing from one day to the next. And basically, it calls that person's character into question. It makes you wonder, well, if they'll lie about this, what else are they lying to me about? That's the cowardly lie. The convenient lie is probably the one that we're most guilty of. The convenient lie we tell because it takes effort to tell the truth. It just takes energy and it takes time to tell the truth. And sometimes we just don't want to expend the energy or the time. Do your kids ever ask you to explain something and you don't want to get involved so you just you know, said something just to get them to be quiet? It was a convenient lie because it takes too much time to explain. You might do that with your friends or with your parents or with your spouse. You just don't want to make the effort to tell the whole truth so you don't. 
The convenient lie may not be as harmful as those other kinds of lies, but it sets the stage for suspicion. And when the lie comes out, it just starts to plant a seed of suspicion. There was a song by the old-time children's TV host, Mr. Rogers. It was called, I Like to Be Told. It goes like this, I like to be told when you're going away, when you're going to come back, and how long you will stay. I like to be told. I like to be told if it's going to hurt, if it's going to be hard. It helps me to get ready for all of those things. And the refrain goes, I'll trust you more and more each time these things come true. Children want to know, is it going to hurt? They want to know, and they deserve to know the truth. But isn't that true for all of us? We like to be told the truth. Out of respect for the relationship, we like to be told the truth. If truth isn't at the core of the relationship, trust becomes impossible. The Bible says love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. If truth is missing, is trust too far behind? Trust will soon follow and the relationship's not going to grow. Without truth and trust, all other traits of a loving relationship are kind of incomplete. We expect to be told the truth. We expect that people we care about would care about us enough in return that they would tell us the truth and therefore become trustworthy. So how does trust actually work in a relationship? If we, if we think of love as an emotion, you know, people will always feel frustrated because we can't always work up that feeling of, feeling in love. Love, my friends, is primarily an action. It's primarily an action. And trust is an action too because trust is built by repeated reliability. Repeated reliability. When a person's words and actions match up, when you say what you mean and you mean what you say and you do what you promise, that's the action that creates trust, and that's how relationships are built. Have you ever played the, uh, the game Jenga? Do you know what that game is? Jenga is kind of a fun game. You take these little uh, uh, sticks of uh, rectangles of wood, and you kind of lay them on top of each other, and you stack them up to make a tower. And then the game is who can kind of extract one of those uh, pieces of wood without toppling the tower. And you go back and forth and back and forth until it starts to wobble just a little bit. And then finally somebody, the loser, pulls out the last piece and the whole tower falls over. That's what Jenga is all about. Well, it's a good illustration of how trust works in a relationship. A healthy relationship is built by repeated layers of trustworthy actions where your words and your deeds match up. And when that happens over and over again, you begin to trust the other person, where promises are kept, where honesty and truthfulness are put into play regularly. Each truthful action helps build that tower of trust. And in the same way, each lie, each dishonesty, each time trust is broken, well, it's like one of those things being pulled out of the tower. Every time, repeated actions. The more pieces that are removed, the shakier the tower gets. And sometimes it only takes removing one piece and the whole tower can come tumbling down. You see, each relationship has its own breaking point. It all depends on the people involved. If it's a small lie, a convenient lie, that usually isn't enough to topple the tower 
if that relationship is important to you. But a small thing can end a relationship instantly if it's not an important relationship. You go to a restaurant for the very first time and you get an undercooked meal. That breaks trust for you. And you're not going back to that restaurant. It's end of the relationship. But if it's someone you love who lies about how they spent some money or something like that, or where they were or something they did, that incident alone doesn't topple the whole relationship. But it does weaken the tower of trust. A big thing, like the act of adultery, that can be a deal breaker. That one act can bring the whole thing down in an instant, though usually that means there have been a lot of other pieces maybe pulled out quietly prior to that final one. But each person, each relationship has different breaking points. I know a couple whose marriage survived uh, the wife having an affair. She was deeply repentant and her husband hung in there with her and they worked it out. And then several years later, she had another affair. Now you'd think that would be the final deal breaker. You'd think that was the end. But her husband stuck with her. And miraculously, and only God could do this, I'm convinced, they're still together and happier than ever before. Now that's an extremely, extremely rare uh, uh, situation. You usually don't get a second, second chance. Most people can't do that. But each person, each relationship has its own breaking point. And it is possible to rebuild trust. It's not easy, but it's possible. It's possible to kind of reinsert those pieces back into the, into the tower of trust and kind of reform its stability. But it has to be done very carefully. The process for restoring trust, especially when there's been a serious betrayal, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of patience, it takes a lot of consistency and love. It starts with a look within. The person who has broken trust in the relationship has to take a very, very serious internal inventory. What kind of person am I, really? What kind of person do I really want to be? What difference does my faith make in the way that I actually live my life? Is it just words, or is there something real there? Am I ready to get real about what's going on in my life and my desires, my expectations? And the person who was betrayed has to ask him or herself the same questions. Who am I really? Where is God in all this in my life? What do I want my life to be? It starts with an honest look within. And then there's got to be sincere repentance. Sincere. Not the I'm sorry I got caught kind of repentance that we hear so much in the media. That doesn't really do anything. It's just words. Repentance means turning from. It means a a turning away or a change of direction. And it has to come from a deep part of your heart and your emotions. You know, you should really feel repentance if you've done something wrong. It has to be translated into actions, but repentance first comes from the heart. The Bible says you should feel bad if you've done something wrong. That's a sign of health. You should feel bad. And the worse that it was, the worse you should feel. And it may take a long time to get past that feeling, but there should be a sense of sorrow over one's actions. Sorrow is a healthy emotion if it leads to repentance 
and change. Repentance is not the same thing as self-loathing. There are a lot of people who say, well, I'm the worst sinner in the world. I've committed the unpardonable sin. But then they just kind of stay there. They get stuck there. That's just being narcissistic. That's the self-hatred of an alcoholic which accomplishes absolutely nothing. True repentance brings you to Christ where you realize that your failures do not define your future. Your failures do not define you. You discover that there's a power bigger than your own that's able to cleanse you of your sin, that's able to give you the love and the security you need deep in your heart, the deepest levels of your life, and and that's really what you've been looking for, that love, that security. It's able to redirect your steps, a power from outside of yourself that's able to give you hope and to find a new way to live. Your failures do not define you. There is a different way to live when you experience the power of Christ. But you have to go deep to find it. And the third step in restoring trust is to begin to right wrongs. That happens first with apology. I know one woman who caught her husband having an affair. She gave him one chance to apologize, and he really didn't do it very well, and that was it. He had one chance. People stay mad if they're owed an apology and they don't get one. Giving a heartfelt apology in many cases kind of takes the sword out of the other person's hands. You have to accept responsibility for your own actions without making excuses, without adding the word but at the end of the sentence. I did this, but you did. That's not an apology. That's heard as another accusation. That's heard as an excuse. An apology means coming clean and telling the whole truth, and then working to make things right. Writing wrongs isn't just words, but they've got to be the right words. Someone once said, you can't talk yourself out of a problem you behaved yourself into. So it's not just words. Writing wrongs means doing the things you need to do. You know, we all tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, by our intent, and we judge other people by their actions. You know, I meant to, I tried to, I was going to, and so we let ourselves off the hook because we think our intentions were good. That doesn't cut it in the real world. Intentions doesn't cut it. It's actions that count. Relationship trust is created by trustworthy actions. You have to be consistent. You have to be congruent in your behavior. You have to become trustworthy. That means worthy of trust. Trust has to be earned. Trust is never automatic. So you have to tell the truth in a way that people can verify. No hidden agendas. You've got to deliver results. You've got to establish a track record of trust. You have to keep your commitments. You have to say what you mean, mean what you say, and do what you promised to do. You know the computer expression, WYSIWYG? What you see is what you get. When you look on a screen, that's got to be your life. People need to be able to say WYSIWYG about you. What you see is what you get. No duplicity, no cutting corners, transparency, and honesty. That's how you become credible again, because little things count. And that can lead to a new relationship that is based on what I call smart trust. Smart trust, where the other person begins to extend trust once again. 
Now, this is just not a blind trust that says, okay, whatever you say, I believe you. Especially if there's a major break in the relationship, there have to be parameters. There need to be a sense of transparency. No secrets, no holding back, no covering up. There has to be a sense of accountability. In business situations, that's why you have to have contracts. There have to be agreed upon expectations that are written out. And the lower the trust, the longer the contract. Isn't that true? Every detail spelled out. Well, in rebuilding personal relationships, sometimes similar kinds of contracts can be very helpful where people actually write down what are the expectations. So everybody knows exactly what is being said. Things need to be clarified and clearly understood by both parties. When's your curfew? What's the spending limit? You'll call if your plans change. What's the password? That's all part of smart trust. And the wounded person has to be able to extend trust if trust is going to be reestablished. They have to, in a sense, let go of their grip just a little and trust just a little. Blaise Pascal, the famous French mathematician and Christian philosopher, once said this, and this is very powerful. said, I bring you the gift of these four words. I believe in you. When somebody has really messed up and comes back with a heart of repentance sincerely and wants to make it right, wants to apologize, wants to do the right thing, for the wounded person to be able to give the gift of those four words is very powerful. I believe in you. They're hard to say. They're hard to mean. But extending trust is one of the best ways to begin to create trust when trust is not there. Extending trust to others is very powerful. It begins to rekindle the damaged soul, both theirs and yours, if you're the wounded person. Extending trust conditionally to those who are in need of earning your trust. Friends, trust changes everything. This morning we're giving Bibles to our third graders, and I write a little note into each one of the uh, the Bibles with a Bible verse for the kids. And the verse I chose this year isn't just for kids, it's for all of us too. It's about trust. One of the greatest verses in the Bible about trust, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. God is the ultimate source of truth and trust. That's where it all begins. And if we acknowledge Him, if we lay our lives down before Him, if we let Him direct our steps with truth and with trust, that will be built into your soul and it will be built into your relationships as well. Folks, this week, may you build strong towers of trust. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are not in this relationship business alone. Because none of us is perfect. We've all shaved the truth. We've all made mistakes. We've all wished we could hit the rewind button. Sometimes we've damaged relationships irreparably. Sometimes we have been reluctant to extend trust or grace again because of our wounds. 
It's a very complicated, complicated thing. So, Lord, in whatever relationships that this message has brought to mind for people today, I just pray that people would see that you're the third party in that relationship and that you're there too. And that most of all, you want us to begin to trust you for your truth and your consistency. And as we build our lives on that stable platform, then then we can risk a little and begin to trust others and maybe even trust ourselves. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.